Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for the leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And we got we got a season wrap up to do, man. We have to wrap the season up. Yeah. If we don't, no one will. So we're here to do it for you. <laughs> um No wow. one on ball move will if we don't. <laughs> so where do we want to start with this? Because as promised. Yep. I went zero to leftovers in six and a half days on this thing. Nicolas Cage's next movie, I by did, the way. Yes, it's red in 60 <laughs> seconds. I uh, plowed through the leftovers, the book by Tom Perota. I want to talk about that um, kind of in general and compare and contrast to the show and then do a yeah. little bit of a... There's a very minor spoiler at the end of the book that I don't think will apply to the show because they've kind of taken the same material and practiced it, but I'm trying to be very careful about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, we can talk about that. I saw a very interesting article uh, by Tom Perotto where he contrasts uh, five areas where the book and the series were different. I had kind of an interesting thing to say about his uh, partner, Damien. I mean, Damon uh, Lindelof. So, uh, but also we've got just a ton of feedback to get through as well. Yeah, some I think we're going to let the listeners do a lot of the talking this time. Some of the stuff... Uh, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, some, some of the stuff that will um, kind of dovetail in, 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 in this discussion as well. Shall I talk about the book a little bit? Sure. I'm super curious how that lines up with the series. So halfway through the book, I'm like, this book was a diamond in the rough. Like, Perota and Lindelof took this thing, pulled it out of the ore faceted it up, shined that shit, mounted it on a princess, and, and put it on a platinum ring, and the book was a pale imitation yep. of the show. Put it on a magic carpet. Yeah. Uh, and released a genie. It just felt like every single character in the show was edgier, more interesting, hmm. uh, certainly a lot of the plot points. This book, um, you know, halfway through, it doesn't have the the... His dad talking to crazy, you know, doesn't have his dad talking to angels, mm -hmm. doesn't have vicious packs of dogs, doesn't have mysterious dog hunters, doesn't have Kevin going crazy. Hmm. Kevin's not a police officer. He's just a mayor of the town. He's kind of a bland peacemaker. Uh, the one guy that's kind of relatively healthy. He's kind of confused about why everybody else's shit's lost, but he doesn't go and beat people up for fun. Mm -hmm. Um and th But then when I did – so I was about halfway through up to last night, and I was kind of sweating like, oh, God, I'm going to have to stay up late and read this. Um, and then my team, the Colts, lost on Monday night football in a rather gruesome manner, and I wasn't going to sleep anyway. So I'm like, fuck it. I was marathon and uh, polished off the, the last half. And by the time I got done reading it, I was genuinely disturbed and affected in a way that kind of surprised me. Hmm. Like I want, I wish there was someone up in the house I could talk through my feelings with because I was just feeling a lot of, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I, I don't know other than the fact that when you're inside like Nora and uh, Nora's mind and Lori's mind and, Jill's mind that even though they're not maybe as interesting or they're not doing as many things, they're not screaming and yelling and having freakouts and there's no guilty rim that body swap bullshit going on. It just, yeah, it's more affecting that you can, it's like, that's just shows like the power of the written word over t television. Television has to bench press 500 pounds to get the reaction out of an author, you know, curling 20 pound dumbbells. 
Sure. Makes sense. You know, when you have an insight into what they're thinking, uh, it can put you in the mindset of that character a lot easier. Yeah. And it's, I, I guess what really, I see this in real life a lot. People with untreated depression, mm-hmm. just trying to muddle through their lives, wondering what's wrong with them, uh, feeling ever more disgusted with themselves when they can't do daily, everyday tasks, like getting out of bed, interacting with people, being intimate with people. Uh, and it was kind of heartbreaking to see a person like Nora Durst, who was just traumatized, trying to just go her own way. And, and, and you know, sometimes she'd take a step back forward and then she'd take three steps back. And Was she shooting herself in the chest? Hell no. <laughs> anything, <laughs> okay. anything that made you like oh, say, holy shit, I can't believe this fucking happened, did not happen in the book. Wow. Okay. There is one, like I said, I'll get to it in the spoiler section. There is one... Um, a build a build up towards towards the end. Um, there is a plot about that that surfaces about halfway through the book of the guilty remnant being killed, hunted, and um, okay. um, being Gladys. killed. There's like two or three bodies uh, mm-hmm. the, of the watchers that get found in the middle of the night, and that's kind of a mystery that builds up. But it's nothing like so. It's not Patty the, and, the martyrdom scenario that we get in the show not exactly again that's the one thing i want to uh, spoiler hmm. um matt is just a total irredeemable asshole in my opinion <laughs> in the book he is he still a priest he's still a priest he's not nora's sister oh, uh, okay same arc as far as like trying to expose the yes fraud the the evil nature of the people who are because taking. he's obsessed with the idea that he that the rapture came and he wasn't first in line okay so this all is right. all about his ego. You think he'd go introspective and say, what did I do that's wrong? He didn't have – he had a wife and kids, but they left him just because he was such an asshole. Uh-huh. He, he, it wasn't yep. that his wife – I mean he's in, He's so sympathetic. Even his campaign to prove that these people are not righteous people seemed sympathetic because you know hmm. he it, it's tied up into his wife and the predicament that she's left with and you know yeah you're talking about in the show yeah sure. in the show so he's just and he's not just a bit part he he exists solely to come in and deliver yet another bomb to nora because the thing that happens with her reading about her husband's sore details mm-hmm. the preschool teacher happens and that's one of the things that just you know yet another thing happens in the life of poor nora um, you get a lot more information about the guilty remnants and like some of their, uh, do you get in their heads at all? Yeah. You said you get in Lori's head. So, well, they have an interesting thing, which doesn't fit the show's theme, but it certainly, um, helped me out as a reader in which that Meg is an initiate just like in, and, and Lori's her boss. Uh-huh. And they went during the initiation phase because they talk about the guilty remnant have gone through several phases. Kind of reminds me of the machines huh. dealing with humans in the Matrix. Like, you know, huge crops were <laughs> lost until our retention rates were like 13% until we got some of the stuff dialed in. Yeah, yeah. But they have this thing, this nightly ritual between mentor and trainee called the unburdening, where, where they can talk to they can talk to each other oh, okay. freely. Uh, from the from I think from the time they do after nourishment, which is where they all eat their fucking oatmeal, until the time they go to sleep, which can be for all intents and purposes all night. And they interesting. And, and it's, there's like a three month period, and then at the end of that three month period, you have to you, you you stop doing that. So it seems like the 
the organization of the GR is a little more explained, like kind of the, the logistics of being in the GR and running the GR is, is yeah. more. So you have like the group homes and then they have what they call outposts, which is where they take some of the exceptional guilty remnant from the group homes and they go into a new community as like, like a beachhead. Like Patty. And that might be. Yeah, like they go and they go with like three other people and they start watching people and they get the tracks out and then they start <laughs> attracting people and then it's it spreads like a virus that way. Sure. But they have like, – it made very explicit. The reason they smoke is just as I speculate on a podcast, it's a it's a Opus Day style. And I know Opus Day doesn't do this. So if Opus Day guys listen to this, please don't. I've, I've, I've fucking – I fucking uh, seen uh, the Da Vinci Code. Uh-huh. I've read the yep. behind the scenes stuff. I know it's all a bunch of bullshit, but anyway, <laughs> it's an Opus Day style mortification of the flesh. Okay, and it's it's and they've got rules like every single time a guilty remnant person is out in public, they must be smoking because it's 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 a conscious destruction of your body. It's a terminal. Uh, it, it's a terminal point to put in your life to show that you have faith that this old world is going to pass away and you don't give a fuck. They don't, would, do, do they have any belief that there's something other than the old world to to go to? Do they have like a heaven sort of belief or an afterlife of any kind? No. No. Well, it's – So they're just destroying the one and only life that they have. They don't expect to go anywhere else I guess afterwards. their belief would be that God has definitely said this is over. They believe that God the has said this is well, it, is done. It, it, it's done, and this was his message, and that there is going to. I, I think they're they're thinking that there will be a second rapture. That they're kind of big into this, you know, time of peace versus. But it's maddening because there's a lot of things where Lori talks about that, like her. You know, I had questions about like what the guilty remnant's relationship with the Jesus Christ because they do believe in God and they mm-hmm. have an explicitly Christian take on the rapture and all this. And she goes, but then when I saw the powerpoints, it all made sense. But it's very like you you would be thinking that in your mind. You just have this kind of train of thought, but you wouldn't then recount to yourself the things you already know. So it's kind of like felt like Tom Perota <laughs> hand-waving. Like, yeah, yeah, we thought about the whole Jesus thing, and it makes sense. <laughs> so stop thinking about and it. And they make, they make reference to the, the way the guilty remnant do their sermons, which makes perfect sense, is with PowerPoints. And they have committees where they, <laughs> they scrape the internet for images to make thematic sense. And, like, they have a big one for Christmas where they're like, you know— um, yeah, Chris, you know, this is a time for everyone to celebrate love and unity, but not us. And they have like a picture of a, tr- of, of a, uh, Christmas tree brown in a dumpster and <laughs> like how temporary this shit is compared to their the bunch of white ornaments on it, <laughs> cigarettes hanging from right. it. Right. You know what I want? I want season two to come back. Episode one is Tom's initiation into the GR through his mother where he sees those PowerPoints, but it's all in first person. The whole episode is first person. We are Tom being initiated into the GR. Right, right. <laughs> um, I, I think that their whole, their whole portrayal of the teenage dynamic was uh-huh. much because they didn't do a lot of that crazy shit. They did play a game of called like Spin the Bottle. Okay. Uh, I think they called it uh, the, uh, Get a Room. Uh-huh. Where they pair off and they have sex or fool around or whatever, but it wasn't yeah, seven wasn't like heaven, choking sort of sex and like that. Yeah. And, and Jill um, like shaved her head, hmm. so she and um, they really got into her like how degraded her grades had become and you know how much she missed her mom. And the, there's the scene where she gave her the lighter and like a lot of the, a lot of those beats are still there. I, yeah, I, I was gonna say I think they did a pretty good job in the show, right. Conveying that, right? And like I said, Nora was really good. Kevin is just 
such a mild mannered dude in this book. It's he's almost an unrecognizable huh. character. How about um, the dogs? I'm super curious no, about there. The- there is a one paragraph about like Nora because she rides her deal. She doesn't have a job. She's mm-hmm. living off the guilty remnant or the uh, departure benefits. Okay, and she just compulsively rides her bike mm-hmm. like 67 plus miles in a day. And wow. she sees some weird shit in the park sometimes. Like there is one dude where she was driving by and uh, she saw a guy about to slit a goat's throat. In the <laughs> and park? A, and a, we're dressed up as a businessman. And okay. then they talked about like there was a pack of feral dogs that mm-hmm. were like kind of minister. But that's it. It's like a one. And, and this, wow. This this interview with Perota that I'm going to talk about later. I'll just preview it. He talked about how bi- – uh, Lindelof loved to find stuff like that and just run with it. <laughs> okay. You know, Perota was always like, and that's the book is very much, yes, some freaky shit happened. It was maybe supernatural, uh, probably supernatural. A lot, most people don't believe it's the rapture, whatever. Um, but there's no other hint of any hanky panky supernatural stuff going on after that. Hmm. Okay. Um, the Wayne thing, yeah, yeah, is pretty much exactly like it goes down, except for Wayne gets arrested and taken into custody, and he relays instructions to Tom and for his wives because they're hiding so they don't have to testify against him because he's hmm. you know these are explicitly underage women that he's had sex with, and okay. he kind of right. he starts off as an okay dude, but you kind of track and his descent into. You know, crazy messiah guy who's just fucking underage Asian women. Uh-huh. Um, and then Tom, you also track him that he completely loses faith in Holy Wayne, like in the first chapter. And it's all about how he got faith in him, how he lost his faith, and how he started faking being a barefoot person. You know, the guys with the targets to, yeah, yeah. to, to blend in as he was trying to escort Christine to these wealthy people in Boston who are going to put him up for the rest of her pregnancy. He ends up kind of becoming a real barefoot person. <laughs> okay. And it talks a lot about their philosophy. They're like hedonists. Uh, they they feel it's a sin to not enjoy life. And the principal challenge of that is humans are programmed for misery. And, you know, there's kind of interesting subculture. I wonder if we'll get more of that in season two. I don't know. Yeah, it, that, that'd be interesting. It'd be an interesting arc. The book ends identi- identically. Nora Durst, she was going to leave Kevin. Um she was going to change her life and do all that stuff. And she goes home to Kevin's house and she sees Holy Wayne's daughter and she says, look what I found. And that's exactly where the book ends. Okay. So kind of leaves it at an interesting, interesting place for next year. And also does not give you at all any insight into whether the supernatural events in the show are really supernatural or not. <laughs> because I think if you ask Tom, he'd be like, no, absolutely not. They yeah. are all things that you can rationalize. And if you ask Lindelof, he'd be like, you know, wiggle his eyebrows and be like, we love to watch. <laughs> Twirl his fucking mustache. Yeah. No, but yeah. I really, I really like that. And there's interesting. They delved a lot into Kevin and Amy's relationship. Okay. Like, you know, is there like a sexual relationship no. between them and that? It goes no. right up to that where like it 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 was about to that do that, and then I Kevin realized like ah oh, this is I can't do this no I'm not going to have <laughs> sex with a teenage girl. All right, and Amy also realizes that that's not what she wants because uh-huh. the book uh, the show the book is a lot about her maturing. 
Okay. And becoming like, you know, getting away from this relation, this, this terrible relationship that she was in with her stepdad where they, they outright say that he was molesting her or whatever. Mm. And her kind of maturing and becoming a, a, a fully formed person. And she decides to move out. Like they independently come, they, they came right to the edge okay. and she's like, this isn't, this isn't the pattern I want to jump into. And he says, I can't do this. I'm too good of a guy. Yeah. So, so he, he, her moving out was prompted by her relationship with Kevin versus her relationship with Jill in the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I feel like that, you know, that's kind of, you know, that, that Amy would have been super offended and in, in the book, they just, again, Amy and Jill had kind of drifted apart because Jill had spent like a whole semester fucking around and skipping class and doing all this stuff and shaving her head and having sex and doing drugs with, you know, Amy aiding and her bedding her. And she kind of decided that I don't want my life to go down that path. So she kind of resolved to separate herself from Amy. Huh. And Amy decided she got tired of doing that. So she stopped going to sex parties. She got a job and she started becoming more close to Kevin just because, you know. He, okay. he he only worked like three or four hours a day in the book. He was a mayor of this small town, which is not <laughs> just uh, not yeah. a full time job. So what are you saying about Lucy? Uh, <laughs> so questions about Kevin. Uh huh. You said he's way more milk toast. Is is he still crazy? Is he taking no, pills? No, not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. He's a sane, sane person. He feel, he's he's almost uh, an ideal uh, idealized person he didn't personally lose hmm. anyone okay. he knows some people he's very deeply sympathetic he cares about his son and he's worried that he's off in this cult but he also i mean he's like he's worried about his daughter but he also knows that she's like 17 going on 18 and he, all he can do is offer mild guidance and trust her to do the right thing and spoiler alert she does <laughs> and um, he's just a really good dude. And in fact, almost everyone's point of view of him is that he's a really good dude. Hmm. Well, what about his dad? Is his dad crazy? Does not exist in the books. Does as not I can exist. Tell. Wow. Yeah. Made uh, up of whole cloth. All right. What about Kevin and Lori's relationship? Is it explained like when that breaks down, like why Lori goes to the GR? Do we have any info on any insight yeah. into that? No, there, she didn't have this miscarriage or anything. It's just, they explain the way, the guilty remnant is very like straight textbook cult. They target and prey on people that are weak and have questions and they do things like, Oh yeah, you should come to our house and see how the community and, you know, sure. and, and we'll have a sleepover and we can whisper at night and they, they make it seem like it's going to be this one thing. And then you get in and you're indoctrinated and then it turns out to be something else. And huh. they show how, and then they communicate to people through email, and they make it very seductive. And they talk so about how. So she was almost tricked into it. <laughs> no, I mean I wouldn't say she's tricked because she went into it and she's deeply committed to the lifestyle. But it's uh-huh. like it preys on a certain type of people that see life as being kind of meaningless and not having any meaning. Yeah, I guess I'm. Uh, my question would be, why is she in that state? Like in, in because two percent of the world's population disappeared. Really? So it just that event affected her so much. Not not. So Jill's the best friend, which was her best friend's daughter, mm-hmm. disappeared, and her best friend got into it. Okay. Like for for and went spent years like you know kind of plotting around. Yeah. And then you know it was kind of like I'm thinking about doing this, and then I'm like I'm reading their literature, and it's just like the most. It's just like you know it's it's every. Every person that's that's talked to Jehovah's Witness and has gone beyond that. 
Yeah. That's the stage it goes on. Well, first you're reading the literature and then you're getting sure. love bombed and then you should, hey, you should stop by the congregation. It's it's it, not so crazy. And... It looks less serious than it is until you realize, fuck, my life is completely this. different. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. So I, I felt right at home <laughs> reading that. Um, yeah. No, I can, I can definitely imagine. And it does seem, again, it seems kind of s- sympathetic. It's It's something to do. It's like, especially since Jill... In this, or not, sorry, Lori in this book was just a housewife. Mm-hmm. So, not a psychologist. Yeah, and there's kind of heading towards the empty nester, and, and her and Kevin were, Kevin was the independently wealthy one. He owned a supermarket chain or something. And See, I want to see the version where she turns out to be a prepper. Like, this shit Doomsday happens, prepper. and she's like, it's going to happen again. It happened once. We're going to get food. We're going to get a bunker. Right. I've right. been watching a lot of Doomsday Preppers lately. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're fans of quality television, too, folks. Sure. But I like some stupid shit, too. Uh, don't we all? Um, I, other than the big spoilers we're going to talk about, uh, Elizabeth G. sent us um, kind of an outline of things that she had observed in the book because she'd read it as well. Uh-huh. We'll talk about that here in a bit. Do you have any other questions about the book? Cause... Not right off the top of my head. Um, I, I, what is the government's role in that book? As far as the the event, are they do they have this big program? You said she Nora's living off the benefits, so obviously mm-hmm. they do. Yep. Um, are they actively pursuing these nope. cults that are out there? Nope. They're bringing guilty hmm. Wayne to justice because of his outrageous behavior, and he sure. was very public about it too. So, so there's not this kind of big. And war. he's in jail, and at the end, the big review. He doesn't die at the end. He just recants. He says, "I was, I thought I was this. I got seduced by the power, and I did. I victimized all these young women, huh. and I begged my wife's forgiveness. And I'm. He confessed that he's going to be put away for like 20 years. Okay, interesting. So, but that doesn't obviously inform us of what's going on with Wayne. I mean, is Wayne going to become a supernatural messiah figure now that he's dead? He's clearly not disgrace in the eyes of many so you you said that the big memorial day event doesn't happen in the book i don't know what's the attitude of the townsfolk as regards the gr they think they're fucking pains in the asses because they are pushy and they do the watching and they're very creepy and when they start getting killed the towns they're like you know they have like snippets from letters to the editor that's written to the town paper and people are like you know even the like the first one that dies, their his mother and father, like look, I'm not saying that it was right, but Justin, I think his name was Justin. Justin was out looking to be a martyr, and someone obliged him. So it's like even his mm-hmm. own mom and dad were not like. And <laughs> Kevin, as the mayor, wow. worries about his wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but but he's like, what can you do? The whole you know, the guilty remnant are completely not cooperative at all they will not release you know they won't even confirm that his you know because they know they got in twos right so if someone gets killed there should be at least one witness they Uh, deny existence of anybody and oh yeah he just went out alone that night and that's all this obvious bullshit and obfuscation so the cops get pissed off because they don't take them seriously the community doesn't care so it's like one of those things interesting uh, so what is the canon when we're talking about this universe as far as you're concerned? I know that's to people who are really deep into these world-building type series. Well, first of all, I would that's recommend big. anybody that liked the show should read the book. And it's a short read. On my Kindle, it was like 290 pages. I probably okay. plowed through it in four or five hours. Uh-huh. 
it's short read is quick read. It does do, I think a lot of good at getting in some of the, 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 the minds, especially of like a Nora and a Jill mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent, Lori, um, it's not going to give you any answers as far as the mythos. Okay. But it's entertaining, and it also – I can't see anything really spoiling you for next season except for the one thing I'll talk about in the spoiler section. But again, I almost just talked about in the show because I just don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that if you, if you were a book reader watching the show, I don't think any of the things would have shocked you. Like, for example – the guilty remnant being martyrs and all that you, there wouldn't have been a debate. It would have just been like, yeah, that's a thing, yeah. you know? However, I think you'd have been shocked at all the supernatural things that got added and all the like craziness and how just like a lunatic some of these characters made, which made for interesting watching like Matt, all right, you know, and Nora and yeah. Kevin all are much interesting dynamic people in the show versus the book. Yeah. And that's that mystery has everybody talking about it. Sure. So I think, you know, there's a, a flavor that smacks of lost that interests people. It's just, it's got to go somewhere. It's got to be not just compelling to watch, but also uh, satisfactory. There is the a talk end. about this war in Yemen that in goes out throughout the book. It doesn't uh, go anywhere. It's just like one of these things where they're like, well, Afghanistan has calmed down and Iraq. And, but it's like, you know, a lot of this low scale intensity conflict. Mm-hmm. That that people have gotten into, but there's no like any mention of nuclear crazy weapons? no or resurrections or anything like that. Shit. Okay. So again, it's it's got nothing to do with any myth. If you want to read, if you're going to read this for the mythos, you're going to be disappointed. If you <laughs> okay. want to read it for like an almost an alternate universe take on some of the events and also some inside glimpses of Nora and Jill and Laura Lori, then I think it's a worthwhile read. Okay, but I, I can't see anybody like being pissed off about it or anything. I will caution you that it will seem bland up till halfway through, hmm. um, just because Kevin is just so much less, in- so much less interesting, and he's still the central character. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah. So you want to talk about that interview that you were reading, or uh, let's look into the feedback. I think someone directly references. Oh, okay. Something, perfect. so we'll use that. So yeah. um, before we get into feedback, should we do a little bit of pimping? Uh, yeah, why not? Some pre-pimping because we got a lot of post-podcast content. So um, Jim and I are, uh, are getting into a new form of crowdsourced um, support for our podcast. We like Subbable for a lot of different reasons. Number one, you know, Hank and John Green of uh, Crash Course fame and the Vlogbrothers fame uh, started that service. They're both uh, local boys from Indiana. Um, we like their idea. We like their product. And so we went with Subbable. Um but Patreon, which is a similar service, is by far the largest service, larger service. Yeah. And we've had a lot of people email us and like, you know, I don't really want to mess with a new account and get a Google payments thing and all that stuff. But if you did Patreon, we'd support you in a heartbeat. So we talked about it for a little bit and we investigated it and it wasn't too much trouble. So we got a Patreon. If you go to Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash bald move, you can kind of see what it's all about. We're not abandoning Subbable. We got mm-hmm. some big plans coming down the pike for Subbable. Yeah. Especially in, you know, because one of the most successful things on Subbable was, is, the, is and was the custom podcast option where you can make us do a podcast on any two hours of media that you want us to. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people suggested that's great, but is there a way for 
instead of us paying the full cost of that, can we divvy that up between 10 people that want the same thing? We're like, yeah, we'd love to do that, but it's no, not technically possible. We're, we're working on a way to make that happen through Subbable, but we've got a way kind of to make it happen on the Patreon side. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things, um, you know, at very low, like the, the, the bottom level to, to get to, to Patreon access is a dollar. The top level is five dollars a month. And, you know, you get access to special Patreon only stuff at, at the three dollar level. You remove all advertising. For example, you wouldn't have had to hear any of this bullshit. <laughs> It'd be stripped out. You got a, a special Patreon ad free feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at five dollars, there's going to be some real time interaction opportunities with Jim and I um, uh, weekly and a special like a kind of once a month type of deal. There's some milestones. We're trying to get a bald move forums going. Um, there's a milestone for if we hit this level of funding in a month, we will do a custom podcast for everybody where we have a vote and see what's the majority of people want us to do. And we'll do that. So that's kind of a way that you can spread that cost across everybody. It breaks down that subable is the place you go. If you want something, if you want a piece of bald moon memorabilia, or you want a custom recording, you don't want to fuck around with crowdsource and voting and all that. Uh, Patreon is where you go for extra access. And, because the platforms are different, it's you know, and we got a um, because the platforms are different, we can't have the same offering. Patreon's not set up to do the stuff Subbable does. Mm-hmm. Subbable's not set up to do the stuff the Patreons does. Um, so we're going to have a five minute segment after this podcast is over, uh, but probably before the spoiler section, obviously, where we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the differences and our plans, long term plans. Uh, but check that out, please. So we got a new snazzy video where we take a humorous look at our coverage of Walking Dead versus what that would look like if we covered it uh, officially with uh, uh, for AMC with emphasis on supporting independent podcasting and why that's important for you as a listener and, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, why it's in, important and why we need it. I'm starting to babble. <laughs> that's all the pimping I'll do this week. Okay. That's enough. And you guys can listen at the end if you want to hear some more about that. Uh, let's go ahead and get right to feedback. Tom G says, I, I'm sure it won't be alone. These opinions. I've loved this, this season of the leftovers for about a hundred reasons, but here are my top three. The story has been a very compelling mix of grief and madness in the midst of a global mystery with a mix of biblical and contemporary references I never gave up on the story and never felt either cheated or unsatisfied. The tone of the score and cinematography have very much complimented the production, and Carrie Coon has given a spectacular performance, and I'm kind of in love with her. <laughs> there is something about Carrie Coon. Sure, that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, she's not just attractive, but she's attractive in the approachable but also interesting way that, I mean, it, I think it hits a certain amount of a percentage of the male population in just the right spot. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel you there, Tom. I feel you. Um, and also I feel like that one middle point about the tone and the score and the cinematography, this show has been an incredibly well-crafted experience. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I we took a couple of hits this week from people emailing us after we gushed over the finale saying, I call bullshit. Y'all are just trying to drum up support for this show and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
and drum up support for the show or just or our podcast or making it seem like it's better it's like i'm not going to believe that this is anything more than an average show i mean it, it kind of hurts me a little bit that people would think that we would say something <laughs> insincerely yeah, yeah just to drum up you know support for- or numbers or to cater i mean our least successful show to date uh-huh. has been 24. If there was ever a show we would want to try to get sell people on, it's being quality or pump it up or get people to watch it um, or make it, you know, that would be the show. And that's the show we fucking rip. And Walking Dead, where people yeah, actively the Walking s- Dead, yeah. send, us, send us hate mail because of how unfair we are about a slightly above average drama, TV drama <laughs> about zombies. Sure. Like, I feel like we've got a bunch of public information out there that shows that we will praise a show when we think it's honestly deserves it and we'll rip it. And you don't have to agree with us every time. Now, here's the thing. Maybe we've been fooled and this show will not turn out to be as good. This show will end like a lost. It's entirely possible. <laughs> but, improbable, but, probable even. But if that's true, they have me fucking fooled because mm. I think this show is good. Yeah, on if, the face of it. And if it happens, we will be quick to to turn on it like the pack of feral dogs we are. I thought season one of The Walking Dead was good. <laughs> I think it is good. And I fucking turned on it. No, I so I mean I can see why this isn't everyone's cup of tea. Oh yeah. Oh, like yeah. like for example, caviar. People pay hundreds of dollars per ounce of this stuff. If you like caviar, caviar is this sublime experience and it's worth paying that money for and you and you love it yeah if you don't like caviar it's like fucking neptune jerked off and shot a load in your mouth (laughs) and it's nasty and disgusting Uh, and both of those things are true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just how it's 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 whether it hits you in the right particular taste or you know whether you work i i I'm not saying that even you have to have a certain amount of culture or intelligence or anything to appreciate. I don't. I yeah. feel like lo- the leftovers is kind of lowbrow in a lot of ways. The way it uses language and some ways, it's sure. not very. A lot of times, elegantly written. Um, yeah, it does encourage you to think about it, though. Yeah, and, and I the, those are the parts of the show that I really love. I think, without a doubt, it's well acted. With yeah, no one can say almost across the board. No one can say that people didn't get bring their A game when they got in front yeah. of the camera. Without a doubt, it is well shot. It looks great. It looks fantastic. The music, like Tom was saying, it's great. The tone of the show is fantastic. Now you can argue that you don't like some of the tricks they're pulling. Maybe the dirty sure. the tricks might be a little bit of dirty pool. But I, I as far as like looking better than the average show and feeling better than the average show. I think this definitely is. Yeah. And I think that's also your personal experience. Like one of I've on without a doubt, I like this show more with my experience of being in a cult than I would yeah, have. Yeah. If otherwise, I mean, that mm-hmm. was a hook that even in the, I think that the first couple episodes were rough. I didn't think this show was like smack you in the mouth. Good. Until you got yeah. the two boats and a helicopter. Sure, sure. But a lot of people didn't make that far because it's like, what? This is just a bunch of weird shit. It's a bunch of like emotional flagellation. I don't want any part of it. And that's, I, I totally get that. And I think if you were, you know, depending on your personal experiences, the grief and loss and all that, you might think this is a whole bunch of bullshit. And you're not wrong. Like, this no, is all no. subjective, right? Yeah. This, the, the, definitely. The non subjective stuff is the quality of the production itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Hayden P says, I think some, uh, this is, so this is the one take, you know, we haven't read these in a couple of weeks because Jim and I confess that we don't really give a shit about the supernatural theories on the show. All of it is entirely speculation. That's why I don't care. And, and we'll use this as an illustration because we keep getting them. Um, he says, I think in some cosmic or supernatural, spiritual, or what have you way, the departure happened because people wished for these particular people to go. Now, he has paragraphs of examples, which I'm sure you can think of, mm-hmm. where this is borne out in the show. Uh, Nora, in a moment of frustration, wishes her family wasn't around. Uh-huh. Um, the he, he cites the ki- the parents of the Down syndrome. Kevin's uh, off fucking some other woman. Yeah. Um. Although his family didn't he actually, disappear. he doesn't lose anybody. Yeah. So uh, explain that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so obviously there is evidence to suggest that this could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. He says, I think the guilty remnant know this and feel guilty about being left behind because they know they wish for someone to go away and poof they were gone. The guilty remnant needs people to remember what happened. If the guilty remnant can get the whole world to really dwell upon the people who were departed, then maybe that same power that was accessed on the 14th can be used again to bring everyone involved back who vanished. I think that is their mission. It makes sense okay. how they were they uh, are willing to sacrifice their lives for the loved ones to return. It makes sense that they would sacrifice a whole town's sanity by putting dolls in people's houses. The guilty remnant thinks that any sort of psychological or physiological torment and pain is worth it if the world can get back to the departed or get back to departed. And they think that they and they think they were right about that. I think the world would go through any hell imaginable if they knew it would bring back the departed. I don't disagree with any of that. I think these people might very well think that. But if you're trying to say that it happened because these people were thinking that or that it could or that it will happen again because these people are thinking that there's nothing to support that. Right. And that's the like, thing. I agree. Nora wanted to. Nora felt very fucking sure. guilty about having wished that she wasn't in the scenario she was in when they disappeared. But it's also hard to talk about like, well, I think because of these things, I think the guilty remnant believes this because there is not enough proof either way yeah but the only windows you get into their thoughts are through things like that right i I mean they don't but this is tell you what they're thinking this is a lot of stuff that gets you know this is this some this stuff can get crazy Mm -hmm. you know real fast when and and when you start running away with this stuff because now you've invented this possibility about what the guilty remnant's mission is and if it turns out to be true are you going to be disappointed well, you also, know? then you start – if you start extrapolating off of things that you've just assumed. Yeah. And that's, that's where that's where you get in trouble. That's where it gets really crazy. So, like – so, so um, you know, uh, Haddon here gets and posts this on Reddit. Someone else posts and builds on that theory. Yes. And then someone else posts and builds on that theory. And now, now you're off you're, you're, in La La Land. You're playing TV fan theory uh, telephone. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And then people are, like, quoting that as if it's going to happen. And then when it doesn't uh-huh. happen in season two, then it's like, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, so, when they never actually set any of those things up. Right, right, right. That's the crazy part. So I'm not saying that people are wrong to do that. That's part of the fun of this show. It but is. it's, mm-hmm. like, we'll get ten variations of that kind of thing. And do we read them all? Do we track them all? Do we score if people are right or wrong? It's It's really tough to talk about that in any kind of organized way. Because it's something that you're personally coming up with, and you know, as evidence piles up, it can be a thing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just uh, I, I find it very hard to 
talk about that because I want to say stuff like, well, how do you explain Kevin? He wanted his family to disappear, yeah, and yeah. they stubbornly refused to. <laughs> well, I, I look at it, and I think it, p- part of the enjoyment of this show and part of the enjoyment of Lost was that speculation, that trying to piece together the puzzle that is this show. Um, I I just don't see any use in trying to piece together why it happened in this show because they very explicitly said, we are never going to tell you that. Right. You you will not understand why that why the departure happened by the end of this show. Yeah. So we should stop. We should stop speculating on why the departure happened and start focusing more on the story they're actually telling, which is the, the people thing. around it's, it. And you did a better job of articulating. It's this class of theory that assumes a reason for the departure and then extrapolates from that going forward. Because, again, we could be made fools of because Lindelof and Perota could... Maybe they're straight up lying. Could could, could yeah. explain, and it's a vital cog of season two and three. But if we take them at the word that they're never going to explain the departure, uh-huh. then anything we have for motivations causing the departure or or whether it was a supernatural event or whether God's involved, it's all kind of like pissing up a rope because if that's never going to matter and never going to be explained, then they can't really be building plot, point, plot points on it. No, they can't. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting to see like Nora Durst, who wanted her family to be disappeared. And that's like I thought yeah. was really – her letter in the book is actually even better than the one in the show because she lays it out. She's like, you know, this happens to parents every fucking day. Mm-hmm. They snap at their kids. They mentally wish, my God, I wish I could just have a moment's peace. She goes, I just was cursed with my wish in that one moment being granted. And it really yeah. fucked her up. Sure. That's – Interesting because it's something it's it's and, and just like Kevin dealing with the opposite where he wished his family's gone they weren't but then he lost them that informs who they are now sure. and that's super interesting I think to me and not like a an untestable theory and it, and it basically says this was a coincidence right that's the character acknowledging the coincidental nature of the departure happening in that moment sure it doesn't inform why it happened yeah. But I just want to explain kind of our editorial policy here because last time we did that, I got 10 times as much email the next week saying, well, this is why the theory actually saw the ground. I was like, no, you're, you don't understand. Uh-huh. It's, it's not that your theory is not right. It's just that it's based on something that the creators of the show say is irrelevant. Yeah. So that's the problem with it. And then, sure. I don't want to shut down speculation no. altogether. I fucking love that stuff. Right, right. So, But we have to – I feel like we're already getting enough email now that we have to start making decisions about the stuff we're going to focus on and stuff we're not. Oh, yeah. So anyway, just want to let you guys uh, talk about that one last time since it is the wrap-up cast. Jim J said, I think it'd be very interesting if next season was built entirely on The Departed. What if next season starts with the same exact sequence except 2% of the world's population – instead of 2% of the world's population, 98% disappear. <laughs> the baby's left in the car. The mother's gone. The dad pushing the cart is left, and the kid is gone. Oh, man. That turns into a fucking nightmare. An alternate reality with only 2% of the world's population left. Would there be more chaos, cults? Oh, yeah. Or just an apocalyptic world being run by the Pope, Gary Busey, and Shaq. <laughs> the dream team, as I like to call them. Sure, sure. <laughs> what can't be solved by the goat, the, the Pope, the Busey, and the Shaq? Um, It'd just w- be Gary Busey screaming, you think we're going to freeze the whole time. It, it, <laughs> and we will. So I, here's my personal thought. If 2% mm. of the world just vanished, 
it would be the Walking Dead scenario without zombies. Power plants would stop working. If 98% the, of the population yes, just yes. vanished. The It'd internet would grind to a halt. Uh-huh. Tankers of, of oil would stop being transmitted. Durable goods would no longer be manufactured. We wouldn't yeah. have enough people to run the concentrated to do the shit necessary to keep modern civilization, and it would just all fall the fuck apart. Yeah, they would have to figure out, like, if that were the case, if everyone around me disappeared, uh, I would probably get online immediately. Sure. And go and like I don't know what site I'd go to. I'd probably go to Google and just start searching everyone around me is gone or some shit. Mm-hmm. And I think people would connect up that way before the infrastructure fell apart. Sure. But uh, that would fall apart would surprisingly like a, fast. It would. It would. But it would be like a mission for all the people who figured this out before it fell apart to get together, I think. Mm, that would be an interesting like that a race a kind to of interesting. a location. Yeah. Because like yeah. even like there's there's a really interesting Discovery Channel documentary before it just turned to complete bullshit about sharks that don't exist <laughs> and UFOs and aliens. Preppers. It's basically they're lagging five years behind History Channel. Uh-huh. But it was called like The World Without Humans, and they kind of documented yeah. like if How everyone long? disappeared right now, what would happen at five minutes? What would happen – like, you know, yeah. first like in, in, in like less than five minutes, every airliner – no, it wasn't that because some of, those, of some of those pilots, some of those things would just run until they run out of fuel. Uh, yeah, true. Because they can fly themselves, it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, but they and they talked about like you know when would the last generator fail? When, when would the last Twinkie expire? Yeah, it's just stuff like <laughs> yeah, exactly stuff like that. And it's surprising how quickly like electricity would just stop working. Yeah, I am Legend actually does that pretty well. The, sure. the remade Will mm-hmm. Smith one. I think its depiction of New York uh, after people have gone is pretty cool. Look at Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was a bustling city in the 80s, and you look at it now, and it's, like, totally fucking the last of us. There's jungles growing up and shit. There's <laughs> wild animals throwing. I mean, they're, like, it's amazing how quickly nature will just say, not fuck all this shit. Yep. Done with your parking lots. Um, Jambleton S., says uh the answer to how the heck do you know who justin Thoreau is question as a lady who can appreciate a fine looking man i've had this dude <laughs> on my radar since the early aughts he was on sex in the city was shirtless shirtless sporting okay. a god-awful irish accent in the second charlie's angels movie and the muse video for hysteria an american psycho he was in mahalad mahalan drive she, the baxter wanderlust and parks and rec which Every single one of these emails I'm about to read blew my fucking mind. How was this man in Parks and Rec and I did not know it? What year? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I got right. I got to go back and look okay. at this. Yeah. He was also like I said the dreadlock DJ from mm-hmm. Zoolander. Uh, Zoolander again blew my fucking mind. Uh she says not always but he's usually playing an asshole or a shirtless guy or a shirtless asshole. <laughs> uh, our friend DC said, "I've uh, he's been lurking about for years. He was in Six Feet Under. He played Janine, Janine Garofalo's weird cowboy hookup in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Jeez. Again, <laughs> mind fucking blown. I just saw that movie like on cable two months ago. I've never seen that movie. Crazy. Uh, Brian H said, um, oh shoot, we're getting off of the, uh, oh no, Elizabeth G Said years ago when I caught up on the show Alias before it started to suck, Justin Thoreau played an ex of Jennifer Garner's character. Huh. It was a small part, maybe three episodes, but his performance left an impression. Uh, Anthony was it B. His performance? Or was his, it his performance? Shirtless, shirtless body. He goes, <laughs> Anthony B said, for me, this is the only male 
I'm not making any ju- value uh, judgments. Sure. Just saying. The only, only, only male <laughs> okay. uh, said uh, Thoreau has been on my radar since 2001 when he saw him in the David Lynch masterpiece, Mulholland Drive, which I have not seen. I need to see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. He also has a small part in Lynch's next and last film, Inland Empire. I really liked his work in both these films, particularly Mulholland Drive, and I've always wanted to see him do something similar since. Yeah, I don't usually like David Lynch, but that was a good movie. He says, you did touch on this last week, but since we know the novel's material has been used up in season one, I'm a bit worried about Lindelof running this off the tracks in season <laughs> two. Hopefully Perota can keep him grounded and he doesn't go in the direction of Jacob and the Man in Black. Oh, boy. Here's where I want to talk about this interview with Tom Perota. One of the things he talks about in this interview that, are, that, that he talks about the five main differences between the book and the television show. Mm-hmm. He talks about the supernatural element. He says... Every single time he, he talked about uh, Damon Lindelof running with these things, like the paragraph about the wild dogs and this other stuff. He's like, it was a, he said, the chief creative tension in our relationship is that I always want to keep things as grounded in real life, rational explanations, and that everything can be uh, satisfied with the thought that this person is dealing with grief or they're having a psychotic break. All right. Damon always wants to run with maybe there's a little bit more going on or there's a supernatural ever. Or what if there are angels talking to these people? Sure. Sure. That and and I feel like sometimes Tom gets talked into just in, in reading the interview. He's like, oh, OK, I guess he can be hearing voices because legitimately crazy people have, feel that. And maybe he can have a, a, uh, a, a vision here because people in that might – I, I feel like I don't know. He's given when you look at the book, and you look at this season, yeah, and then you look at Lost. I feel like that the book is or the, the series is a little bit towards Lost than the book, and that was with a very firm roadmap for season one. You know, we had the beginning and we had the ending. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know that that's a terrible idea, though, because I like. Lindelof's method of telling a story. I do. I enjoyed it in Lost. The mystery, the intrigue, it keeps me interested. It keeps I've, me thinking. I have loved those deviations in this in this yeah. show as well. So if if Perota can keep him grounded enough to where it doesn't devolve into the man in black, uh I I, I think we'll be okay. We might get a satisfactory ending. I think you know, Lost went a little too off the rails. Maybe he didn't have that guy reining him in. Maybe how long Carl can they? Is not that guy. How long can they keep this up? Where uh, that that's a fair question. Because I was amazed yeah. through ten episodes that they're able to just walk down that balance beam mm-hmm. where you could equally plausibly explain something supernaturally versus just plain rationally. How long can they keep that up? Uh, I could definitely see it starting to wear on people. I think I, I want to say like season after season three is where in Lost is kind of where people said, okay, this is getting a little repetitive. You just keep asking questions. If you were Lindelof, would you have an exit plan by season three? Would you like, or maybe season three seasons no, is the perfect if, number? if I were a Perota, I would. <laughs> if I were a Lindelof, I wouldn't. I'd, mm. I'd be doing my own thing mm. in my head. But I'm hoping Perota will be able, like, th- those two great flavors might taste great together, I'm hoping. See, I it, to me, this feels perfectly, I feel like I'm in the middle of a story that uh-huh. I don't need more story, 
But this is if if we go the structure of the seven years before the you know Armageddon or the Great Tribulation, and that we're right in a halfway point. Yeah, this feels like it's another season, which is the ultimate downfall of everything, and then and then depending on whether you're a, a, a real cocksucker asshole or whether you're an optimist. Uh, it's just it just goes to shit and has an unhappy ending or people rally and heal each other and reject the nihilist <laughs> tendencies of the guilty remnant and the other cults. Yeah. And pull their shit together. But so you're giving it two seasons. I feel like no, I just feel like that this if 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 I feel like, you know, I'm sitting on one end of the teeter totter and I need another 250 pound guy on the other end. I, I'm like, I, that's what it feels like. If if mm-hmm. if I had two other guys on the other side, it would be. You know, it, it just wouldn't be balanced. Now, two guys my size, maybe two guys your size, sure. So they have two five episode seasons. No, you know what I mean. Like yeah, I just feel yeah, like yeah. that's symmetrically the way they're telling a story would be very satisfying. It could be three seasons, but man, this doesn't feel like a five season show. It really doesn't. No, it feels like maybe a three season show to me. Uh, if you want to do, that. if you want to do the three point five. So what's your years. what's your two what's your two season two arc and what's your season three arc? Uh, season two arc is. So season season one arc was obviously building to the the three and a half year mark where shit's starting to get serious. Uh, season two would be dealing with that seriousness, like the cults that are springing up are causing real trouble now. Yeah. Um, and then maybe in season three you have another kind of event, mm. so, something as big as maybe even another departure. I don't know. But then you have to deal with that, and that's the final season. Like something, something that changes the perspective of everyone again. Yeah, and you can use that to say whatever you want to say. Right. My only problem with the three season arc is if they are going to make something out of this Yemen and out of this big national conspiracy with that the might even be the big event, Aftec like. or whatever. That yeah. How do you scale to that and still keep it interesting and relevant to Mapleton? That's my biggest yeah, problem in like, you know. keeping it a human drama, yeah. The, I feel like they have the same problem in that other show you like, Falling Skies. Sure. Where it's like they have to do a lot of plot machinations and, you know, rails to keep it believably about this ragtag group of humans against this technologically sophisticated. Like the larger the stakes become, the more you need something like fucking Independence Day where the president of the United States is involved. Yeah. And the, you get Will Smith punching aliens and Kevin Garvey can't just do it no more. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, fuck. What is his name? Who? Uh, Will Smith? No, no, no. The guy from Falling Skies. Kevin Bacon. Uh, no, no, no Wiley. Wiley. Okay. Uh, he he was the president for a while. He was the president of humanity for a while. <laughs> okay. Or at least the United States. Well, he was the, the bullshit president in the sense that, uh, you know, the, the, the president of Battlestar Galactica was president. Sure. And that everybody else was dead. Yes. Uh, and they had like a, a season where he was the president of the United States and Charleston was the city that was kind of the hub of the resistance. And that was it. That was most of humanity's uh, resistance as far as you could tell. Sure. And there were a lot more people than he's got now, but so you, they had the same problem at world war Z mm-hmm. with the movie. They didn't go sure. to the places they needed to go because sure. they wanted to keep it about these people. Right. 
uh, it's a hard thing to do and still it's hard make to, it to both reduce and broaden your scope at the same resonant. time. Yeah. It's not easy to do. And I don't think that's what this show is going to do. Yeah. I think they wants to be about the human drama. All right. Uh, Nathan P said, I just want to point out this first season of the show, uh, that this is only the first season of the show yet. I argued that every episode has been either good or excellent. Everyone is giving a hundred percent on the show, which is seemingly a rarity in the production of other, even higher ranking shows. It makes me sad that people wrote the show off straight away or else after finding the show too confusing or not popular enough for them, especially seeing the emotional payoff and thought-provoking aspects of the show were just so good. I'd argue the show has definitely got A-rank writing, direction, and acting. Thoreau, Kuhn, and Eccleston, Eccleston in particular are truly the holy trinity of the show. I mean, I can think of many shows that have been this good in their first season and even shows in their fourth or fifth that have been had a season packed of quality content, but usually there's at least one that slips up. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, it's a, a very impressive rookie season. Yeah. Um, I, but the thing is, is I don't know if it's fair to say that people wrote it off because it wasn't popular or entertaining enough. I mean, like I write off 99% of horror stuff and, and suspense stuff, not because they're not good. I'm sure there's awesome. There's, there's many towering works of genius when you come to horror and suspense. Oh, hell yeah. I just hate the way they make me feel. Okay. That's fair. I don't like watching really like I would never watch that uh, Marley and me or whatever about the dog who, you know, it's like it's it's just basically the dog's rise and then brutal execution at the hands of the ravages of time. Like, nope, nope. (laughs) I have buried a dog. I've spent a week as a wreck. I have no Uh desire to feel that again. I really don't. If life kicks me in the nuts. I, I prefer it not to see it coming. So yeah, yeah. But interestingly enough, I got kicked nuts a lot by this show. I don't know why yeah, it made it was I, the I exception. I was gonna say this show definitely could kick some people in their nuts. Yeah, I wonder if I'd even it's watched brutal. it. If like a lot of the reviews, if I'd read, oh, it's a it's a meditation and grief. It's emotionally devastating. I I I sometimes wonder if it wasn't for the fucking guilty remnant all white cult. If I'd even given this show a chance. Hmm. I mean, the trailers on I, HBO made it feel like it was an event. Yeah, I was going to say, you like, before we started doing this podcast, before we had even decided, you were like, oh, this Leftovers thing looks hot. And I was kind of like, yeah, it did the first 19 times mm-hmm. I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen it 170 times, and mm-hmm. I'm not so into it. Uh, but once I saw the show and what it was going to be, I was much more excited for it. Sure. And I, I like... I, I don't know. I like horror, mm-hmm. which makes me feel something I'm not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and I like this meditation on human grief. I, I I think it's interesting. It's something that television doesn't do very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also something that turned me off about, like, True Detective. True Detective was too... Too morose for me, <laughs> which is so <laughs> funny because they're replaying it now. And I was talking on, I just did an impromptu live watch thread with people on Sunday night. Uh-huh. And my, my, I found the first few episodes extremely funny of True Detective. Really? Yeah, I really did. Uh, uh, anything that didn't involve the brutal murder of a woman. <laughs> Like it just Russ or, or and, the existential crisis of the lack of meaning in the universe. It's just Russ and Cole <laughs> in a car talking. I found hysterical. Huh. 
and even funnier the second time around. Yeah, Harrelson does a great job. Just he's such a great straight, straight man, man and playing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'll talk about more of that when we get around to our True Detective. Uh, but but that, that aspect of it turned me off at the very beginning, and then I got a few episodes in, and was like, okay. I can deal with it. All right. We got to keep moving because we got a ton of this stuff. Robin L. from London said, Aaron talked about being okay with Kevin's dream sequence at the asylum and not being sure why it was something, uh, why it was not seen as something jerking our chain. Mm-hmm. I felt the same way. And my take is that I've enjoyed the show, that the show has continually flirted with sci-fi possibilities only to shy or pull back each time. I've interpreted it as a character's hoping that there was some otherworldly explanation for what they're going through. Hmm. It's far scarier to have no explanation for everything and face a universe that doesn't care about your plight. Whereas if a magical deer or your crazy dad or Holy Wayne could prove that it was all part of some grand plan, then it might provide comfort or absolve guilt for these characters. So Nora's situation is pretty bad, in his opinion, where she doesn't have any of that happening to her. Sure. She's just kind of left with this hole. Yeah. And and questions. Uh, Ed, who is no longer from Chicago, which... Prompts a mystery. Where are you, Ed? That's a good question. Where do you go from Chicago? Well, like, in your you case, go you go up. to Indianapolis and then Cincinnati. And yeah, you I watch went down. slit your wrist every day. I went down. <laughs> uh, he says, now the seat, maybe move to New York or LA. That's because okay. London or. Although I went to New York and New York feels. It's too big. Oppressively claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, I, I'm with you. crushing in on you. Chicago's just right. Yeah. It's, it's the Goldilocks of cities. It needs to be warmer. Of large though. American cities. Yeah. It could yeah, be warmer. Winner's a bitch. <laughs> now this season's over, and the most intriguing character to me by far is Wayne. I didn't really get much uh-huh. input on the who he was, or more importantly, his backstory, or why so many people chose to follow him. It almost seems like it was left intentionally vague. Hmm. I found it interesting and not coincidental that he has a group of followers, a few apostles, including Kevin's son. He predicts his coming death and is killed by his non-believers. Then, when he is found by Kevin, he has been wounded in the side like Jesus. Yeah. I do not think this is a throwaway line that when Kevin asks the detective, who was that guy? And the detective replies, just some guy who thinks he's God. Hmm. Is there any there there you know christ a christ figures are the hoariest of literary cliches sure and they've been used before in this show i'm gonna ask i'm gonna put this question on you having read the book does that give any more insight into holy wayne's character no of course not no none no i mean it would involve speculation on a a supernatural event this book chooses steadfastly chooses never to do that ever so so it does not say like how he became holy wayne like how he built up his cult how he seduced all these teenage asian girls yeah he sincerely believed that he had the ability to take people's pain away by hugging them okay so and he so he just got that thought after yeah i i remember it 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 clearly talked about the first time he did it because he was recounting it on like a tv show or something Uh uh-huh and you know, that's it. Just kind of went from there. I don't know. He just felt like I think maybe it was with his wife that was the first thing, hmm. and then it just went from there. Interesting. They don't talk about how because it kind of like felt like you know you saw Wayne in the beginning, and then Wayne as like working the talk circuit, trying to get the gospel out. Then Wayne as like the fucking superstar Bono esque like <laughs> cult figure. Like okay. super popular, and then you saw him laid low in prison, going away for twenty years to life or whatever. Is, is his wife 
in this scenario an underage Asian girl? No, a, she's an under Asian. She's a she's a regular old a woman, but who supports his ex having extra wives. D- does she die? Does she get raptured? Nope. Does she? Uh-uh. No, nope. she's just a person. So she's around in the Wayne show. Wayne lost a son, and he thought but, that. But that she's he's, she's not around in the. The show. reason he wanted another. A, a, a child, and he was convinced that he thought that this was going to be his son reborn, and if he could get his son back that way, huh, it would okay. somehow inspire hope throughout the whole world. That that lends some insight into that character, I think. You know, if that's his well, mission, the book, it t- he totally to teach the world that sure. we can replace the things we've lost. I, I feel like that's the kind of the antithesis of the, the GR. Certainly, yeah, the other side of that coin. But I don't know how it fits in because in the book he recants and in the show he's dead. So <laughs> yeah, and then so. also it's the it's a daughter, not a son. So and he's potentially mixed up with the Russians and their nukes and Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, moving on to Harry Pubes, which I think <laughs> is an alias. Nah. If not, nah. you should slap your mother and punch your father. Yep. In the Wayne wish death scene, Wayne is feeling like he might be a fraud. His powers seem to be curing people's emotional pain and seeing into the future to some degree. I think everyone agrees that Kevin wishes to have a family again, and Wayne is granting him this wish to prove himself that he is not a fraud. His dying is the only way he would be able to see if this wish will come true. Or he's dying, so the only way to see if this wish would come true would be looking to the future. I believe the super creepy smile he gives Kevin is not because he loves Kevin's wish so much. But because he can see into the future and realizes that this family Kevin is going to receive includes his own prodigal son, or daughter. Interesting. Something that is going to be very hard to prove without sure. Patty-esque lap dances involving Kevin. Yeah. It, <laughs> Everyone's come back from the dead and given, given Kevin a little psychopathic Holy lap Wayne's dance. Holy going to come back and give him a lap dance? Mm, Bare-chested. Bare How do you like my kid? <laughs> uh, bring, bring it in, Kevin. Bring it in. <laughs> That's that's kind of a cool theory. I mean, it's obviously it's speculation, but that would make holy. If you if you're saying okay, he lost his son, and his mission is to get him back. Seeing him with a ha- happy family would be would put a creepy smile on his face. He continues, uh, the background news reports were always interesting and were usually hints or tips to, about future events. One such report was about a mass grave being emptied. Just another wild thought here, but perhaps the guilty remnant in different places of the world were also preparing for this resurrection ta- type of attack on the public. Other affiliated guilty remnant in the world might not have the money or resources for these fake bo- po- bodies. Possibly they did the same thing, but with skeleton bodies wearing the departed clothes. <laughs> Three... Yeah, it so was like skeleton it, bodies. Or they empty the grave. It's kind of, it's also. There you go. Just empty the grave. That's, that's all a, you need to do. It's another Christ allegory, too. Yeah. And they where, rolled the stone away. And look, there's nobody. Yeah. Sure, that would creep people out. Uh, just a point on the dream Kevin had in the insane asylum. I wasn't suspected suspecting any of the falsehoods and trickery until he walked in the room with his dad and the TV was playing Perfect Strangers yet again. <laughs> the first time Kevin is in the room with his dad, they talk about the show while I was on TV. When he walked in the room with the TV on again, it almost gave me a Matrix-like feeling. You know, the mm. deja vu with the black cat. Yeah. Uh, just a prediction. I think this scene where Lori walks away from Jill and Kevin shows that Lori knows she can't be part of the family anymore. Then she finds Tom who walked away from the Wayne baby who is now a Garvey. That means they both walked away from the Garvey family and they are off together. My prediction is that this will either be the last we see of those characters or at least they will be gone for a season. I believe this is a story about the Garveys and Lori and Tom are not Garveys anymore. 
Your part of the story is done, or at least done for a while. Lori, Tom, we see him next season? That's a hard sell for me. I think I think we got to see him next season. Uh, Who will scream in every scene if not for Tom? Right? Right? Uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think we'll see him next season. But the, the idea that they are not part of the family anymore is interesting to me, because we've seen a new family foreign at the end. Mm. So I think he he could be right about that as far as, like, we'll just view them as not part of the family. Right on. David C. said, thought I'd let you guys know that the instrumental of Nothing Else Matters by Metallica is done by a Finnish band that consists of c- uh, cellists Apocalyptica. called Apocalyptica. They cover metal songs with mostly Metallica. Yeah, I saw this email and I checked some out and good stuff. It is good. And I, I just thought it was like a remix of their S&M album, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely very cool. Uh, Kevin H. said, I've decided that Aaron is a guilty remnant member because only guilty remnant member who has smoked a billion cigs could produce a hacking cough into the mic six times in a podcast. <laughs> Wait, you can hear that? Uh, God yeah. damn it. That's the thing. Like, uh, I muted every single time. That was actually bouncing off the walls, which are made of acoustic foam into like I was just, <laughs> just devastated. And I've been sick for two weeks. Yeah. That day. I don't know. I just couldn't get the tickle out of my throat. There we're, was not we're enough. Have to have a code word for I need to cough. Not enough uh, lemon honey tea in the world. Uh, he says I was also thinking about the gr fuckery and it, if it could scale up to a big city. Let's do some math. Let's assume Mapleton is a fifty thousand population city. I'd guess less with the police force that size, okay. but with fifty uh, guilty remnant members. So Chicago is one hundred sixty times bigger than that. If two percent of Chicago is departed, and that would be one hundred sixty thousand people but also mean 8,000 Guilty Remnant members. Does that scale? Each Guilty Remnant member would need to throw a dummy in 20 homes. If that happened in Chicago... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think we missed some math here. Hmm. He's saying there are 50 GR members. Sure. And it's 160 times bigger in Chicago. uh, Yeah, it's 160 times bigger, sure. Okay. How does that translate to 160,000... GR. I don't know because I hate math, but I think that it's like the one number gets bigger. I would think it'd be like six, seven, eight thousand, somewhere in there. Hmm. Or sixty thousand, seventy, eighty thousand. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to do the reverse math to see how the Mapleton thing worked out. I suspect he's overstated the size of Mapleton. No, I what whatever. Let's let's keep going. Sorry. Uh, anyway, he says each guilty remnant would have to need to throw a dummy in twenty homes. If that happened in Chicago, it would be an extinction level event for that whole city. I think season two is going to have to open up to the larger world, but not in that way. I think we'll find out what Russia and Yemen mean for sure, but we'll stick to the Garvey family. I feel okay. like that's what they're going to do, Kevin. However, I can't really wrap my arms around how they both expand the scope and keep it character focused on the Garveys. Yeah. I also su- suspect you're right. Can you imagine the Mapleton Rampage scaled up to, like, Chicago oh, or New York City? It's citywide riots. It's, yeah, it's the L.A. riots, right? Yeah. Uh, or probably more serious than that. I mean, sure. it looks like the entire town was out there sure. fucking up the GR. All right, that's the non-spoiler stuff. We will have uh, a brief min- musical interlude, and then we will have some book spoilers, and then... Actually, no. We actually have a discussion about our uh, some of our crowdsourcing for about four or five minutes, and then we'll have some music and then some book spoilers. Okay. If you want to, and again, they're kind of, they're pretty minor, um, but you've been warned. Okay. Crowdsourced funding. Never heard of it. What are we doing here, Jim? 
What are we trying to do? Uh, we're trying to butter the bread. <laughs> we're trying. What we're really doing is trying to make the bread. We're trying to cash out before we get we get <laughs> killed by podcasting. Uh, no, no, that's not how it's going. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, we're we're trying to make this full time podcasting work. It's very, it's very difficult to do this, and the fact that we've been so successful is kind of amazing into itself. Um, you know, there's sure. not a lot of independent podcasters that are not already independently famous and or wealthy that are getting paid off podcasts. In fact, most of the people that are the rich and famous folk kind of use it for publicity for the stuff that does get them paid shows things yeah. of that nature. So we are very much laying the track in front of the locomotive that is the ball, you know, the independent podcast and the bald move. We think it's important. We feel like you guys think it's important. Uh, you know, we, we just need to, to figure out a way to make this profitable and sustainable. Yeah. You don't want to be on that train and being able to see the end of the track. And I'd say that we're <laughs> about 70% of the way there, you know, and, and about this, is, there, yeah. this isn't a like, Oh, you know, woe is, is Jim and Aaron. I don't want you to feel like that because we, we planned for it to take a while to ramp up the full production and mm-hmm. to figure out all the revenue streams. And obvious, honestly, if we were a little bit savvier about advertising and, and networking with, with, uh, with those kind of things that we'd probably be there already. Um, but you know, we, we've got some savings and we've got some funding that's kind of making up the gap. Uh, but we're trying to figure out how and, and how much we could do it just from crowdsourcing because obviously that's superior. You know, you go chasing advertising. Every minute we spend doing that is one less minute we spend doing stuff that actually makes your guys's uh, commutes and your daily works yeah. and your jogging and your biking and wherever you listen to us more enjoyable and giving you the stuff that you want. Yeah, and it's also a matter of like who do we want to form the relationship with? Sure. The advertisers, the companies that are making the shows that we're covering, or sure. the fans. And I think making that connection with the fans and participating in the community is way, way superior right. to, to having – to being in the pockets of bad people. Sure. To be – like <laughs> – to use an example from this episode, being beholden to these people who are giving us handouts. That's yeah. That's not go what to we Mayflower want. Grain and 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 Hawk uh, Hawk Captain Crunch and Post Cereal. And no. have to admit that I'm a bootlegger. Right. That's not good. <laughs> I don't, um, so I don't. I don't. You know. I, I, do you really want to hear Bald Move talking about how great Stamps.com is? Yeah. And you know. And, try, and Hawk and Squarespace. And, yeah. All that stuff. Or would you rather just? Uh, listen to us do the stuff that we do the best and have us concentrate on that and not worry about that. So that's where subbable, that's where Amazon, you know, the, you know, just to reiterate, I constantly get emails from people wondering whether that makes a difference, whether if their stuff actually gets there, mm-hmm. it does. Like if you go to amazon.baldmove.com, whatever you buy within the next 24 hours, we will get credit for. And it's not nothing. It's o- actually only if you're in the U S though. No, uh, that link only works in the U.S. If you're somewhere else, you've got to go to our support page and click on your. So if you're link. Canadian, you're U- U.K. you're French, you're German, or go to our website and click Spanish, the banner. Uh, J- the- Japanese. I'm trying to think of all the different places that we have a regional presence in. You can go to. You can either click on the banner or you go to baldmove.com/support-us. Um, but we get fully 33% of our funding through the Amazon affiliate. So that's a great way to support us. Yeah. It doesn't really cost you anything for using Amazon like I do. I use Amazon all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the subable 
you know, we, we went with Subbable, like we talked about in the podcast, because we like the Brothers Green, we like the crowdsourcing function, and it's been super successful for us. It's gotten us another 33% of our funding there. Um, you know, we got a little percentage, like you can tell. Um, and we decreased that. When we went to Patreon, we went ahead and reduced, you know, the level of how much, because we felt like, you know, you don't want to double dip. No, no, no. So That's not what the Patreon thing is about. The Patreon no. thing is about giving people access to different things that Subbable is not set up to do. Right. Like, we can't do any kind of recurring membership-style stuff on Subbable. It just doesn't work. The, the platforms are different, right? Yeah. So Subbable is all about you do this and we do that for you. Like mm-hmm. a or very get retail transaction. You can get a physical item. You can get a custom podcast. You can get a phone call with me and Jim. And it's all designed to track that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Patreon's got the opposite problem. They have no way to really track fulfillment or do that pr- uh, quid pro quo type stuff. What's designed to set up is to sell access to extra content and and features. Yeah, o- ongoing things that you get, not, not as like a one off. Like a t shirt sure. on Patreon doesn't work because if we charge you twenty five bucks a month, well, that's the cost of the t shirt for us, but. The, now you're paying twenty five bucks. You're month. paying for nothing. Yeah, you're getting screwed out of a T-shirt. Yeah, so that doesn't work for us. Um, so what we're seeing, there's another thing that we're kind of excited is that Patreon can help us hit milestones to fund other things you like because people are wondering. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, Facebook's all right. I think Twitter is not so good, but people have wondered. You know, where is a place where we can go? You know, what's a preferred way to interact with you guys? What's a preferred way to interact with our fellow fans? Where can we do things like vote? People have been talking about pooling. You know, they love the custom podcasts. And, like, why can't 25 like-minded fans get together and chip in 10 bucks a piece and, and, and get for a, a, a custom podcast? We would love that idea. We think that idea is awesome. We just have no technical way to do it, and we don't have the time to develop a technical solution we're taking taking a baby step there with both of these initiatives on um, uh, on uh, Patreon, and that we have a five hundred dollar milestone. As soon as we hit that five hundred dollar mile milestone, that will give us the clear mandate to go and set up a forum on BaldMove.com. Yeah, it's going to be a full featured forum. It's going to have you know Facebook login integration, so you don't need an extra account. Um, I have a couple other in- login integrations, or if you don't have that, you can go ahead and sign up account. We're going to have forums set up for the different podcasts and the shows you do. You guys can – like if we're not talking about a show you want to talk about, you can create your own threads. Um, it's got some cool gamification features. You can earn badges for participating in the forums. Certainly. And that, stuff it, like that. And we can do things like hold votes for stuff, uh-huh. which is going to be ta- important for the next standpoint or the next thing we're talking about. There's a $1,000 monthly milestone. So if we ever get a, to a Patreon up to that – that entitles the community to a custom podcast, a crowdsourced custom podcast. And what that means is we're going to have a vote on these forums where everybody suggests the things that they want. You know, And the way these things work is up. we will consume up to two hours of media. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a couple episodes of your favorite show. Whatever. And then Jim and I will do the bald move treatment on it. We talk about it. we got several examples of different movies and television shows we've done that. We just did one on The Wire um, that's pretty popular. So that if you got a popular thing that you can get kind of campaign and get everybody's vote, we will do that. And it's kind of a way for you to, at a very small cost, to get a custom, a commissioned podcast that we would otherwise not do. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of other cool things. Like at a dollar a month, you get uh, 
every piece of content we're going to produce on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and there's some that's only Patreon only. The custom podcasts were released to everybody, but only to people that are on Patreon. Patreon Only patrons will be able to vote for it. Mm-hmm. At the $3 level, you get that stuff. Uh, and also you get access on the dollar level to our show notes, I believe. Yeah. So what that means is I take live notes as I'm watching the show. That's where I compile the feedback. You can kind of see a little bit of behind the scenes if you care to. Um, you know, how Jim and I kind of organized a show, which might be of interest to, you know, people that are aspiring to be podcasters uh-huh. or if you're just a big fan. The $3 level, we're going to give you a custom feed that eliminates all ads. There's no, like, if we have a sponsor for Audible or Hover or whatever, you don't hear all that shit. In fact, you won't hear any pimping. You'll hear, a, like, a five-second message of thanking you for being a patron, and then it's just pure bald move content from there on out. Yeah, we might actually still announce, like, when we're doing events, like, appearances and stuff. Yeah, stuff like, that we're not paid for, like... The Breaking Bad Fan Fest that we're doing. I, but we might even, like, do that once and then cut it out the rest of the podcast. Or, like, yeah. the Walker Stalker Con, if there's a contest, we might let you know. But We still want you guys to know about cool things. We don't, we don't want the Patreon feed to be missing out, Yeah, arguably. And we'll yeah. fine-tune that as we get feedback. But that's the, the big... What is the other thing that they get access to at that uh, level? At $3 level? Yeah. They get access to what we're calling the working drive, which is basically a uh, Google Drive folder where we'll keep kind of extras that, yeah. that we've made uh, in the past and things that we might make in the future. Maybe it's a video that we've shot, but we're only halfway through editing. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a note for a, a new show that we're doing. Maybe it's uh, a business document talking about you know our latest crowdsourced initiative with Patreon. Who yeah, knows? I, I used to make banners for every single episode, right? Uh, that are kind of funny and and cool, and those are up there. Yeah, so that's something. Um, and also, um, the other thing that you unlock at the dollar level and the other level is there's a you're going to be a VIP section of the forum mm-hmm. where it's yeah. only for patrons. Uh, so you can go hang out with us, and we're going to be using that site to talk about you know new shows we're going to do. Um, kind of gauge interest for th- for future content, some other special things that you know give you kind of like special access, and we price that to where, you know, a buck a month, at, in most of people's reach, you know. So I don't want to exclude yeah. anybody. Um, Five dollars a month at this point, you get everything plus uh, you get access to a live feed uh, of all of our podcasts. So if you want to hear instant takes, literally instantly. You can go to that and actually get it. The archives, of course, will go to everybody. But if you want that immediacy, mm-hmm. uh, we're also going to have um, what we're calling Lunch with Jim and Aaron, where at least once a week we'll turn on the cameras in the studios and we'll just talk about, you know, maybe it'll be Jim and I talking about politics and religion. Maybe we'll be talking about um, the shows that we've been watching. Maybe we'll be talking about something else. Maybe we'll take questions from the people watching and interact with you. We don't really yeah. know, but it's going to be a weekly extra uh, bit of content that you can participate in and every other patron can access as an archive. It'll mostly be me eating burritos, I think. <laughs> you eat a lot of fucking burritos. Man. Mostly burrito eating on that you, feed. You, you so like, if you're into burrito eating, mm-hmm. I'm world class. You look Check like, it out. You look like a steam flour <laughs> tortilla lately. It's it's becoming a problem. Um, and uh, so, we, so we got basically those kind of interactive things. We might have some other levels, or we might add levels. Obviously, if we hit the forum milestone, that'll unlock the forums for everybody. And if we unlock the $1,000 custom content podcast, that'll unlock the voting thread for everybody. We'll do once a month. If you have any suggestions, mm-hmm. please send that in to um, patreon at baldmove.com. 
Uh, if you have any questions about this, again, you know, obviously we need money, and or I'm not I'm not above begging for money, but we also <laughs> want it to be something that hopefully you feel like you're getting something out of, and it's something that you feel excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it helps no one to just have you know bullshit rewards and bullshit access levels that nobody cares about. Yeah. So, uh, but check it out. We appreciate it if you guys take a look at it and uh, tell us what you think. And uh, hopefully you guys will become uh, patrons. Anything else you want to add, Jim? Nope. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this pitch that we, you know, we're not going to do this again. This is the one time. We'll probably have this on all of our podcasts this week, but this is the, the one time deal that you that you can listen to it or not. And uh, it'll just become part of our pitch unless you're a patron and you won't hear it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, book spoilers. Let me tell tell me if you think I judge right or not. At the end of the so halfway through the book, uh guilty remnant members start being martyred. Okay. Patty right. and Gladys. Nope. It's just some rando. John and Harry. Then you see that uh Meg and Lori have been usually they split the mentor and mentee uh for obvious reasons to sever that close bond and you know help them out starting on their life as a productive cult member. But instead, Patty sends them to Outpost 19, I think, which is one of the, you know... Which the, hatch is that? Is that the dolphin hatch? Yes, it's the one with the, the shark. bear hatch? Shark with the uh, okay. uh, symbol on his tail floating around. Uh-huh. But anyway, there's two other guys there, uh, and this is one of those outposts where they're actually trying to outreach the guilty remnants, and they're, like, tickled pink because they get to stay in the house, and there's only four people there instead of, like, 30. Nice. They get to eat nicer. Um, but there's two gay guys there, and they start hearing in the bedroom that these guys are having sex. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. A couple weeks go by, and one of them are on patrol, and w- that the one of the gay dudes gets killed. Okay. Um, and he's made a martyr. Well, a couple weeks go by after that, um, and then the uh, one dude moves out, or he's reassigned to somewhere. So it's just Jill, or it's just Amy. God damn it, it's Meg and Lori in the, the whole house. That's it? Outpost 19 is Outpost just 19 Meg is and Lori. Uh, Patty stops by and says, um, I hope you guys keep the proud tradition of Outpost 19 going. We're going to assign two other people to replace uh, you know, the two guys. Let's call them Bill and John. John and Harry. And yeah. she's like, can you even imagine how strong John would have to be to do what he did? And Lori's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you know, well, Bill shot John in the head. He martyred him <laughs> to, and so Meg and Lori realize that they're going to be expected to do this, and two more people come, you know, so they're in a position where they're... So they're the new Meg and Lori. They're the new Meg and Lori, so yeah. they go out on patrol like they normally do, and they get this message um, that they're supposed to do it this night, and Lori can't do it, so Meg takes the gun from her and shoots herself in the head. Hmm. And then Lori's driven off um, by these shadowy, guilty remnant dudes, and that's the end of her plot in the book. 
Do you think that Meg will have to kill Lori, that Meg will try it? I mean, there's so many ways they could spin that. Or it could be that the whole martyr plot is entirely satisfied by the shit we saw going on in The Guilty Remnant. I feel like it was pretty satisfied, but it might be interesting to go there. And I think maybe even more interesting than a... Lori Meg relationship would be like a Lori Tom or a Lori. I was thinking Jill. that too. If Tom becomes part of the guilty remnant, yeah. But the thing is, is as far as we know, Lori's the top dog. Yeah. So who would be sending the message to all? You know, who is going to Pat- be coming up with the plans? Patty's Pat- dead. Patty. Patty killed herself. The leaders of this are not above killing themselves. Certainly. I don't think Lori would. Lori would. It never occurred to Lori to shoot Tom or for Tom to shoot her. I'm saying, how would they ever bring that storyline, you know, with, hmm. like, Meg and Laura, I feel like it's over. It's done. Uh, yeah, Tom joined Guilty yeah, Ren, yeah. it'd be interesting, but why would it occur to Lori to double down and kill... What if Meg and Tom get assigned together? Hmm. And Meg... But again, where's the kill order coming yeah, from? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that would be interesting in season two, if they open it up to, you actually start to see other chains of command within the Guilty Remnant. Because that's in the book. Sure, there's a power vacuum now. Patty's yeah. gone. Lori's moved into that. Who's going to be the next one? And in the book, there's absolutely national-level people and state and regional-level people. Okay. You don't really meet them, but they're talked about. Yeah. So they could definitely introduce us to that, and you know that is an impetus. It would be super dramatic to have Lori have to decide whether she's going to kill Tom or not kill Tom. Or If the order comes down from national level, yeah. Or if Meg and Tom, or, you know, if, if Meg is John, Tom's... You know, mentor. Sure. I mean, you could argue that Patty's not the one who wanted to kill herself. It came down from higher, higher above her. Mm. So, I mean, maybe she sure seemed like she wanted to die. Maybe her and Gladys are the John and Bill of your book scenario. Uh, And they're supposed to be martyrs. And now that same order is going to come through for Lori and Meg Mm. and potentially Tom. Like, that could get super interesting. How how deep does Lori's commitment to this cause go? Is she willing to kill Meg? Is she willing to kill Tom? Right. You know? Um, so uh, Elizabeth sent some book spoilers or some thoughts of her own, which I talked uh, – as I'm looking through these, I, I talked about a lot you know, just off my own horsepower on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a couple things I thought that was interesting. Um, she talks about the guilty remnant not talking and the realization of how little needs to be spoken and how us feeling silence is a learned behavior. Uh, uh, yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, right. It's <laughs> we really, do it all the time on this it's, podcast. It's chilly out today. <laughs> no, but not just that, cause we're having a conversation, but. How many interactions when we're not actually trying to do something are we just talking because sure. that's what people do? Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and the fact that, again, Meg and Lori are way closer at the Guilty Remnant uh, in the book than they are in the, the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nora said, I felt the raw pain of her loss in the book. Nora struggled with how angry she was with the family when they departed and how she wouldn't allow herself to move past that pain. Her willingness to share any part of her former life with Kevin, Nora just wanted to watch SpongeBob and journal with no explanation. One of the hooks, so awesome. Nora does not shoot herself with a hooker. <laughs> In the books, she buys a complete set of SpongeBob because that was her, f- her son's favorite, and she watches yeah. like 
an episode in the morning and an episode in the evening. And she keeps a journal and she writes notes to her son about things she thought he would think was funny or memories that they, and she does this. And it's like, by the time we're caught up to her in a book, she's gone through the series like five and six times. And that's no longer working for her. It's like the CDs in the car. Yeah. But it's weird because she makes Kevin, like they go to Florida in the book. They go off to Florida and they have this wonderful week long toward relationship and they come back and she introduces him to this thing, but she won't let him ask any questions about her family. No questions about her past. Hmm. He just sitting there, grown ass man watching SpongeBob while she journals in something. And he has no idea what that's about. That's weird. And he puts up with it. Okay. And when he finally tries to break her out, he takes her out for Valentine's Day and says, "I'm just, I'm just going to start asking. I know it's making you uncomfortable. I'm going to keep asking you about your past. I'm going to tell you about mine." She leaves the restaurant and never contacts him again until the end of the book where she finds you know months later when she goes to send him this letter to explain what's going on and she finds Wayne's baby it's really very interesting again it's like you know watching someone wallow not wallow in depression but being unable to escape it was was disturbing to me sure um Oh, the big bomb, and because Lori, Kevin, again, is such a good dude, despite how many times he gets fucked. In the book, you know, Kevin's this wealthy guy, and he's worked hard so he can be independently wealthy. Lori divorces him explicitly to get half of his stuff. Jesus. So yep. she can give it to the guilty remnant. Yep. That's, like, expected of yep. her. And, yeah, it was a, it's, it's a real shit show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else in the book. So Jill changed her mind at the last minute and didn't join the guilty remnant, uh, because the two identical twins, she was kind of had a crush on one of them. Uh, she actually had her sleeping bag and her knapsack pack on the way over to the guilty remnant house. And they happened to drive by her in the middle of the night and offer her a ride and go to a party. And she decided hmm. to take him up on it and then realized how happy she was not doing the sex stuff, just playing ping pong with them, and then decided she didn't need the guilty remnant. Hmm. And it kind of hinted, she, uh, at least Elizabeth's take was, being away from Amy gave her the strength to think for herself because you know, Amy's kind of more or less a bad, bad influence on her. That's mm -hmm. more complicated than that. Human relationships always are. Okay. Anyway, that's it for the spoilers. Again, uh, Meg kills herself. <laughs> and... Uh, that's about it. All right. Well, I'm expecting Tom to kill himself next episode. I, I Season seriously, two, episode one, boom, Tom's dead. I seriously can't even fathom what season two is going to look like. No, I can't either. Uh, I It's still got to center around the Garveys, right? It has to. Or it's not going to be the same show. Garvey family. Yeah, they can't. I mean, they can't pull, you know, you can't, you, you can't introduce a whole new cast and crew. Mm-mm. I, mean, I guess the wire did that. The wire did that several times. Expanded it, but yet still kept True the same trend. Do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an anthology. I mean, that. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talked about last week is what if they just go to a different part of the country and tell uh, that story? They could do that forever, probably. Yeah, I don't feel like I got all of the story I want from the Garveys. I feel like that family stuff is sort of a new beginning for them, but I'm still interested in seeing what that new beginning brings. Yeah, but I'm also wondering, because we had, you know, like, what are the questions? Like, the old ladies that were in white, and what did that mean? And, you know, what is going on to dogs and all? So are those really open questions at this point? Like, you could just be like, the dogs 
you know, were driven crazy by being abandoned by their owners. Mm. Uh, his old man really is just crazy and talking to himself. And the old ladies were just, you know, maybe they were a prototype cult or whatever, but there's no, there, there, I don't feel like any of those, an, those questions demanded answers. Yeah, you're probably the right. The questions that demanded answers I felt were fairly emphatically answered in the last episode. Well, it's not that I want... Again, demanded like, answers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those were answered. I, I feel like it's not that I want answers to more questions about what happens with the Garveys. I just like the Garveys at this point. Like, I feel like that family has come back together in a good way with the addition of Nora and a new baby. Uh I'm interested in seeing the continuation of that, but I suppose if they didn't do it, I wouldn't be angry as long as the new season focused on something that was equally as interesting as season one did. Yeah. I just felt like at the end of the book, I had, I had a lot of complicated emotions, but I felt like Kevin, Jill and Nora were going to be okay. And they're yeah, the three people I feel that from the show. Too. They're the three people I cared most about. Mm-hmm. So, if I feel like they're going to be okay, what's it going to be like when obviously they're put in emotional turmoil next season? Am I going to feel like, yeah. oh, Jesus, this again? Or mm. is they going to be able to hook me because they're awesome performers and they got really well-written plot lines? I have no idea. I really can't conceive. You know, I've never had this experience with a show where in a non-anthology setting, I had no idea what to expect from next season. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, I, I guess the closest thing would be the end of season four of Breaking Bad, where, like, there was a definitive close to a lot of storylines. Sure. And we could have never gotten a fifth season, and it would have probably it would kind of work. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. there's at least one or two really big hooks they could go on. But I, I had no idea, you know, what was going to be the big villain and what was going to – so that's a close, but still, it's like th- this was even more definitively ended than that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, we'll just have to wait a year. We'll yeah, see what well, they come God up damn with. <laughs> God damn it. Have to wait. Yep. Um, all right, well, that's all I got. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Yep.